Golf Story, The Expanse, FIFA The Journey and Peter Chapman from Oddworld Inhabitants. This is Staying In. I'm on my birthday week at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you make it sound like you're going through a course of medication. You sound like you're on jury duty. <laughs> I'm currently on my birthday week. On my birthday week, trying to get through that. Hopefully I'll be back at work and having a nice time soon. Um, so uh, I am... Yeah, so I last Sunday, the Sunday that just went, I went and did a baking course at... Uh, the Little Kitchen in Brislington in Bristol. Now, I think it's in Brislington. It's in Bristol, whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, Little Kitchen is what it is. And I, the, the most important thing about all of this is are the three things that I made. Okay. I made, one, a herb f- for gas. You don't sound that sure. <laughs> I love the fact that this visit is so imprinted on your memory. You can't remember where it is or what you made. <laughs> it makes it sound as if you didn't mean to make that, and it just happened. <laughs> you started with one thing. <laughs> Right. Uh, for, so, uh, Pete, are you, you, you're, I'm assuming that you're a Bake Off fan. I don't know why, but I just uh, assume that you are. Isn't everyone these days? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Pretty much. It's, yeah. in the it's in the citizenship test, isn't it? <laughs> so you can help me with what a fagasse is. I, like, it's, it's basically a... It's uh, like, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay. Pete, what do you think the Bake Off is? The Bake Off isn't people talking about lots of different breads and describing what they are and how they're made. It's not, it's not an educational programme in that sense. That's why it wasn't on radio. If they've never made a facasse or whatever the hell that is, we're not going to know... Pete's not going to know what that is. Oh. Well, Pete, so Pete, I think you, so. You're you're a bit of a, a fagas master, uh, is that right? I have made a fagas in my my past. Yes, past fagas. It's a traditional French bread, similar to a focaccia bread, I believe. Ah. And yes, because I'm an avid follower of Mr. Willington on Twitter, I know that his had rosemary on top. <laughs> well, she wasn't meant to be there, but. No, no, she, she just couldn't help herself. So, so I made a fagas with rosemary on it. Um, I uh, made, I made a loaf, a bloomer. You'll be very pleased, Sam. Uh, I made, I made like I know you've you've made your own breads and stuff. I made it a seeded top bloomer, um, and I also made. Uh, these were the these were the stars of the show. I made cinnamon rolls, iced cinnamon rolls. Nice. Mm. Now those those are a tasty treat, um, but um, yeah, I made those. Now now on was, on Twitter, as Pete had already alluded to, there are some pictures of your baking triumphs, yes. efforts, yes, efforts, yeah, sure, um, let's call them that. And uh, obviously, rosemary's there, and your, your seeded <laughs> top. Um, yep. But what I noticed about the cinnamon rolls is, yeah, is that. In the pan, they'd kind of look like they'd all fuse together into one big cinnamon block. Yeah. So it's singular, not plural, Sam. Is that what you're thinking? (laughs) Now, my lovely fiancé has made... Oh, no, she's made me Chelsea buns before. And I distinctly remember them all coming out as separate entities and not as one unified force. It was definitely a tear and share situation. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and but they were. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Tear them off. Eat them away. That absolutely. They were. I genuinely surprised myself. I was so impressed with. I mean, it's all to do with good teaching, right? Like it's all to do. 
it, it's Rosemary getting on there. <laughs> if she sits on it, she loves it. it. Yeah. She loves it. That's the like, litmus test. We are. But I, I genuinely like. I because so Pete, are you are you into are you are you into baking and stuff? Uh, like I that? am. Yeah, I uh, I discovered baking several years ago as like I kind of have had I've suffered with mental health issues and I discovered baking as a way to kind of focus on something uh. and give me a little bit of something to like really like just concentrate on for a set period of time and then at the end of it you get delicious things to eat everyone wins <laughs> Pete Pete what is your go-to baking of choice what is the thing oh, I love baking bread yeah and mm. that's uh, I'm I would say that I'm probably better at cake, but I love actually making bread because it's such a tactile thing. Yeah, you, you can't have to stand need it. Sort of need it for a long time. Yeah, exactly. You see, see, this this is exactly what I found. It was very therapeutic. It was very calming. It was very like you can't think about anything. You like you can't think about other stuff. You really have to like go <laughs> right. Not even the rest. I'm gonna, of I'm gonna break down. <laughs> I can just about think about. It. You can like you do the um. Okay, so I did something called um. When you. It's like you you need the bread and you do something with the gluten strains and it like breaks them but also toughens them at the same time. Um, And I did that and I was like learning all about the science of it. Oh, it was great. And so um, they all turned out lovely and they were all delicious and I had a great time. But on my birthday week now, so left to go is... um, So I've got my PGA Tour golf professional uh, uh, teaching me how to play golf... (laughs) tomorrow uh, and i mean and pete i don't know i don't know if you're up to speed on this but i've never really played i mean i've played I've, pl- I've gone to a mini mini like golf course mini golf course you're holding the putt the uh, wrong like, way there pete yeah like <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah like i've done all that stuff that's all fine i can get it through a windmill no problem but other than that i've not really done any golfing um so i decided that i would uh, throw myself into it and just hire a PGA Tour professional to teach me how to play golf over the course of two days. Um, so I'm doing that. That's in the next couple of days. I've got scuba diving lined up. Uh, I've got some snowboarding. I've got all that stuff. Um, I've realised that I, part of me just wants to stay home and play video games. <laughs> like, like I was like I looked at the big stack of games that I've got I'm like mm. after one <laughs> afternoon of learning how to bake three things yeah. you're yeah. already <laughs> regressing on this wonderful I would argue the least physical exertive of the yes. proposed activities as yeah. well needing know. can be aggressive yeah that's true at the end at the end of this week Pete you've basically taken your starter training course to be James Bond <laughs> yeah, long overdue well he yeah. is going to be fencing as well in the new year <laughs> so die another day is covered exactly <laughs> yeah I got, I got i got fencing i got fencing covered in the new year so what else am i going to need i mean i don't i've never fired a handgun i mean i can't I wait to see to beat okay. bond <laughs> And, and like the beautiful, the beautiful buxom woman walks into the room, and he's there with a penny on. Turns around with yes. his cinnamon rolls. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, they, like you know, the uh, the the James Bond company in, like in, invites everybody to the Thames. There's a boat coming down the coming down the water speedboat, heading down towards where all the press are. Now we know you like Daniel Craig. <laughs> we know you liked him, but guess who we've got. And I, yeah, I, I, I stumble out of the boat. Pop up from uh, below the surface of the Thames in a scuba mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> da, da. Uh, so, 
Yeah, I, just, I think I think that's going to go well. By the by the way, I, I have got to interject. Ooh. Talking about baking, um, oh, yeah. luckily we've sort of skimmed over that, so I don't need to tell you about the baking disaster I had at the weekend. No, 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 no. You absolutely do need to tell us about it. But I've also just got to say that at the moment um, I'm baking, or at least babysitting, an aubergine and chickpea casserole, which has got to be stirred at least once every 15 minutes. So, uh, (laughs) So I'll tell the story and then I'll have to go and stir the pot. Make sure that you break the skin. Yeah. So... Okay, I was doing some baking at the weekend, just before the weekend, because uh, I was going to go and see Chris, and Chris needs food to live, as we all do, yeah. but just to generally wake up. Him especially. Yeah. And so I thought I'd bake some cookies, okay? So I was making some cookies, some uh, chocolate and peanut butter cookies, and I put them in the oven, and they're in the oven for about five minutes. I went, oh, Shit. The milk, and I just, I've not put the milk in the the milk the milk. So I took the, everything out of the oven. I poured the half cooked cookies back into <laughs> back into a bowl. Like stirred them up again. When I went onto my iPad, right? Okay, right. How much milk does this? Where's no? I, where where's the no? No, they don't. They they don't need milk. Oh, oh. Okay, back in the oven. <laughs> Pete's face there was just—it was like it was like a a, a non-meme version of the Picard face palm. Um, <laughs> they tasted good. I actually think I've unintentionally created uh, a way to make brownie cookies because the mixture had gone quite already sort of part bake. It gone quite fudgy. So when I put them back into the oven to almost second bake, that's... Well, it's interesting fact, but biscuit technically is derived from biscotti, which means twice baked. Exactly. Little bake-off fact. Yeah. This is this is amazing. I actually did... Like, Pete, we've talked loads and loads and loads before. Like, so we, we used to do um, Sixth Axis podcast whenever I used to, you know, um, deign to, to foul it up. And, like, I've never known, like, I've seen little bits of baking and stuff on your Twitter feed and so forth, but I've never actually realised how you are really into this, aren't you? Yeah, no, no, I totally am. It's, like, unironically, I love baking. Pete, you're among friends here. (laughs) Um, So nice. It's a great way to teach chemistry, I find, baking. It is. I've got a friend that's a chef, and he says that cooking's magic and baking is science. I think that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Now, Sam and I have been playing everybody's golf. Yeah. And everybody's golf is... It's a delight. Yes. What? You want me to say more? Or are you... I mean, I mean I'm mean, i happy to go there. But um, I think... I think... Um, so, Pete, you've been playing another game. And I keep seeing, like, all the cool kids talking about it. All the cool <laughs> kids with switches and stuff. Um, and it's... God, what is it called? Is it Golf Story? Yeah, Golf Story. So, what is this? Is this Mario? Is this the new Mario Golf? Basically, <laughs> it's uh, an RPG based around the game of golf, which is uh, um, doesn't sound like the most exciting premise for a video game. 
but it's it's quite entertaining. So it does it has golf elements within it, and you do play the odd half a round of golf. Um, mm. At any point when you're just wandering around the overworld, you can drop a golf ball and just kind of tee up. Nice. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's based around the character's progression in the golf story. It's a little story around golf. So it starts off with him kind of out learning how to play golf with his dad and being beset by geese. Um, <laughs> and then it kind of fast forwards like 20, 30 years or something. And he's waking up in his little house and I think maybe his wife has left him. Oh my gosh. Uh, because he loves golf too much. Ah, right. Okay. So okay. She's on the phone. It's a long time since I saw this opening sequence. So I might be getting bits of this slightly wrong. But she's on the phone yeah. telling him to come and pick his bags up. And he's basically saying, Count, I've got to go and play golf. Nice. And he's right out the door and back to his, his golfing house. A tale as old as time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a sort of pixelated art style, very indie game. And it's it has caught the, the zeitgeist a little bit. And like you say, all the cool kids are playing it. So what... Um... So is it the classic golf uh, mechanics? Is it the is it obviously it's the game of golf, but is it the like the the, the swingometer? Yeah, like it's the you, three three tap three tap thing. Yeah, okay. and, and just and just to make this clear, Peter, that when you're with your tour professional, putting down the ball yeah. anywhere you want and teeing off is not how you play golf. And just, is that, is, is that just a, in the car park, is that a faux pas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, also, by the way, I am every single time. Every single time I do something wrong, I am going to turn around to I'm going to turn around to the instructor and go, "Well, that was a faux par. <laughs> Please don't." And we're going to be best friends. <laughs> um, so, um, so it's like, so I'm imagining this as like, I guess the GBA, Camelot, Mario golf games, like looks, top down. 2D. Yeah, it looks fairly similar. Fairly, it's yeah, kind of top down, almost isometric look. Um, but the interesting thing about it is, it's made by a very small team. Um, I think this is, the company's called Sidebar Games. I think. Okay. Um, okay. This is their first game that I can find. Anyway, I can't find any information on them at all, really. Um, and it's like I think if it's like one or two people, then that's all. Um, and it's a really nice, nicely made game. And it's Australian, so it has that kind of sense of humour that you don't see very much in games. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so yeah, it's just a, a kind of a nice little different thing. How how do the how do the two sides of the coin integrate? Because at the moment, I'm playing a football RPG essentially um, with FIFA 17 and the Journey. Um, so how does the like the act of playing golf interact with you know like side quests or like missions and that kind of thing? Uh, you'll quite often you'll go somewhere and like you get into conversation with a character and they'll tell you that they need uh, they need something and the way you get that thing is beating somebody at golf or <laughs> or completing a golf challenge like hit the green five times with seven Brilliant. shots or Brilliant. like things oh, like that. Right, so I see. all all the progression is based around the act of golfing. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds that sounds really super. I mean, so how does that compare with FIFA 17? So, hold on, Sam. Is it called FIFA 17 The Journey? As in, the game is actually called FIFA 17 The Journey because I didn't realise that FIFA was doing subtitles now. There is a mode in FIFA 17 called right. The Journey. Right, okay. So is this like... This is like the... Because um, they put this into the boxing game that they did, didn't they? There was like Fight Night. They had this was like a really big part of this. Like yeah. be the be the pugilist or whatever it is. 
Be the pugilist. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really interesting. And obviously, down with the kids, FIFA 17, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. Brand new hot game. <laughs> but that was mainly because um, Dan and I were looking for something that we can just jump in and out of quite easily. Oh, right. Because okay. he's obviously with baby now. You know, with it, not in it, you know. And, yeah, sure. Thanks for clearing that up. Um, so FIFA is quite flexible because you can play 10 minutes or you can play an yeah. hour, depending on what's going to yeah. happen. And if you need to drop out of a match, then, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. You're not going to lose yeah. any progress or anything like that. So we both decided to pick up FIFA 17 and we both dipped into the journey, which is... So FIFA used to have a mode called Be a Pro, where essentially you created your own character and you basically just played them or you had the option just to play them on the pitch and you took them basically from like a fledgling um, character as the more you played the more stats you built and then you went from you know club to club until you ended up captaining England in the World Cup or something like that so that was the old mode but the journey is a fully fledged um, RPG story basically you play as a as a character and there are cutscenes mm. and there's a big like arc to the character that's built into the game and it's done really well because you are sent on this um story and there are obvious narrative points that the game is trying to hit but at no point do you feel cheapened in that way like one of the first things to happen is first of all can I just say that the journey is hilarious as a story is pretty like it's the cheesiest story if I tell you right mm. if I tell you three that the start of the of the journey is that both you and your best friend Gaz Walker get signed up to the same club at the same time whilst also you as Alex <laughs> Hunter is dealing with the fact that your granddad is an ex-pro footballer and your dad is but your daddy's left you right. and your family in the lurch you can probably tell what's going to happen in is it is it that you pick Squirtle and he picks uh, Charizard? <laughs> is that what it is? Or when you were a kid um, playing football with your dad, you got chased by geese. Gaz <laughs> Walker. I mean, that is the most quintessentially English name, isn't it? The start of the journey is brilliant because it starts off with you and Gaz like playing sort of like Sunday league football, like really young. Yeah. And yeah. your mum and your dad are on the sidelines and a kid tackles you. And you fall to the ground, and your dad literally goes, "No son of mine will fall over like that," and he just pisses off and never comes back, <laughs> and goes and lives in Australia. It's the most overreaction to anything that I've, that I've ever seen. He took that fall badly. Off I go to Oz. <laughs> he just emigrates. Like, he leaves what? the country. Um, <laughs> That's a strop, isn't it? Um, so a strop. Yeah. <laughs> So then, what the so then what the game essentially is is the be a pro mode. You take the control of one singular character, and the more you play, the more the stats stats are sort of boost up. But what it does really well, is, as I said, it how it hits those narrative arcs. So very early in in your career, you get loaned out to a championship club because Ooh. you're not you're not performing as expected by the manager, and then the whole idea is is that you kind of learn your trade in the championship. And with the hopes that you'll get either returned or picked up by another club in the Premier League. And so when you return, 
Gaz has had like this incredible season and yeah. like got a massive ego and then yeah. you you come in and sort of oh. there's a competition between the two but it's it is so it's so engrossing it's so competitive because like any good RPG you invest so much within within this character sure. and the way it's built and the actual design of the game is you kind of go through the same frustrations as I don't know, I'm not a professional footballer, but uh, you kind of go through the same frustrations that a professional footballer would do. So in your early what, like, career... Oh, I've got too much money! <laughs> oh, that's really, women and women like, are throwing themselves at me! When oh. you first start in the Premier League, you're on, like, 30 grand a week, and they still, <laughs> try, they, they still, they still try and ground Alex by making you yeah. play out, like, your first few months still in your yeah. parents' house, living with your mum. And oh, 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 he couldn't believe it. He had to have Waitrose Essential Champagne. <laughs> but like, because you start off very low, very low in your attributes, you can't yeah. do much as a player. Like, no matter how much experience of FIFA you've got, you're not. If you get the ball, like your first touch isn't going to be very good. Your passing isn't very good. So you become right. frustrated, and then the manager starts playing you in different positions. So like, you start off. Um, in the Premier League and I was and you don't even start off the first team so you spend our ages on the bench then you come on with the last 20 minutes and the manager's just like right I want you to get a goal here and sticks you in central defensive midfield and he's just like well I've got no fucking chance now no so you try as much as you can and you end up making mistakes because you're trying to impress the manager and you're trying to improve your career and then slowly and slowly and slowly you get pushed and pushed away from the club and then when you go to the championship club it's all designed to kind of make you feel better and, and definitely like a proving ground for you. So you get your attributes up and up and up. So it's almost like, almost like a grinding field, like entering the open world of an RPG, as it would yeah. be. And then you go, then at the moment, I'm back in the Premier League. I'm a little yeah. bit of a better player. Pete, I don't know if you, you're a football fan, but one of the funniest things happen is, and I, I started off my club, because you can pick any Premier League club at the start. And I started off with Bournemouth. And within the first two months of you playing, like literally after your second game, um, Bournemouth signed Harry Kane. (laughs) Now, that goes over your head, Pete, but Harry Kane is probably... Well, some people argue he's probably the best um, striker, best number nine player in the world at the moment currently. He's he's in my my fantasy football He is. He does very well. He plays with Tottenham Hotspur. He's in my squad. And suddenly, and suddenly, he just turns up and starts. I'm going to play for Bournemouth now, and he's brilliant. And he acts in it. He's an actor in the journey. It's brilliant, and and he's the world's worst actor. But what's <laughs> and and he's just like he's no Vinnie Jones. No, no, he isn't. And he just comes up to you, just like really well played today, Alex. Yeah, you've done. done Hello, really well I'm for Harry Kane. Um, but like, I've gone back to Bournemouth. Harry Kane's still there. But because right. Bournemouth are playing a four-five-one, they never play him. It is just like you've got the world's best striker on the bench. You never play him, and that has its own frustration because I'm not scoring as many goals I would because it's I'm playing in a system that I'm not familiar with, and you can't change any of the team aesthetics. You can't bring on any substitutes or play in an attacking style. So that so what fee, what the journey does really well within the FIFA is give you that idea of being a 
player or a character almost frustrated within the system that doesn't quite suit you and you're kind of bashing off against the manager's decisions it's really engrossing and like if you get a game and it's nil nil and you just miss a chance or you you know um something just doesn't quite go right you like put some passes astray you immediately want to go into the next one it's like it's the only thing that's taken me away from everyone's golf so so this sounds to me like FIFA 17 mm-hmm. is to golf story as Final Fantasy 13 is to Final Fantasy 6. Like much. it sounds like FIFA 17 is this big exciting spectacular emotionally devastating thing and it just sounds like golf story is the game I'd rather play. Um <laughs> uh, like <laughs> I that all sounds brilliant though and I do like this idea of like I do like this idea of sports games, and everybody's golf does this as well. Sports games finding reasons to keep you playing for longer, yeah. like not just like oh, just just keep coming back because you think the game is mechanically dense enough or, or or it's exciting enough. It's you know with with golf story, it sounds like you know just to, just to clarify, Pete. Like with golf story, it's stuff like to get the I don't know strawberry cake. You've got to get like five <laughs> eagles. Is that is that pretty much it? Uh, it's even slightly more simplistic than that. In like to get the key to get to another golf course, you have to uh, hit the target on the golf course that you're currently on. Oh, it's literally times. there's there's no conceit. It's like it's not like oh you're winning, you're trying to win the competition prize, which just so happens to be the thing there that is, they want. There is conceit, but the conceit is always we're all really way too involved in golf. <laughs> Yeah, it's got it. The the way the the way I've imagined it in my head, it's just a world where golf, everyone's everything, is decided by the result in a game of golf. Yes, everything so is golf. Brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. like battle yeah. royale. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, you've been uh, playing FIFA Seventeen with Dan because uh, he's obviously had a baby uh, and uh, so he's obviously taking uh, well deserved time off when he's uh, playing FIFA 17 uh, from uh, I, I can't imagine what uh, but Pete you would be able to fill us in on what having a baby you have to do I'm assuming that there is changing y- yep uh, there is f- feeding yeah yeah there is uh uh, do they still? Uh, do you still have to do burping, or is there some sort of machine that does that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, burping's still a manual process. Is it actually burping, or is it just making the the little one try and vomit? Is that? Is it's that actually right? making no, them burp? Yeah, yeah, it's just, bringing the wind. It's just making them burp. Now sometimes you do get like a bonus vomit along with that. But oh, right, okay. <laughs> you're right. not. The goal yeah. is not vomit. <laughs> oh, right. It's just a happy little accident. Yeah. Um, so um, when uh, so when did you have uh, the little one? Uh, he was born on the twenty second of April. Mm. Okay, so he's so he's now. Uh, hold on. Go on. Oh, mate. We'll, we'll we'll wait. Seven months. <laughs> Six months. Six months. The awkward inflection. There it is. Twenty twenty four weeks this week. Yeah. Very. Good. I don't know so, when you stop so, measuring in weeks. Yeah, I don't point. know either. Uh, just when it, when, you know, when it gets to like 24. Just <laughs> first birthday, just, be like, just 52 candles on the thousand <laughs> weeks. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, add 52 candles to it. It's just a massive hole in the ozone layer above your house. Um, so what at six... Okay, so this is, this is the most important thing for me uh, when it comes to babies. What 
can a six-month-year-old do? Like, can it... Can it walk? Can it, can no. it bleed a radiator? <laughs> no. Are you after a caddy, Pete? <laughs> what, what, what can it do? What can what can the little what, sorry? What's what's the little one's name? Logan. Asking. Logan. Logan Hunter Chapman. Logan. Wow. Um, so apart from being super awesome, uh, part of the Weapon X like, project, you just set up. Yeah, exactly. You just set up for an amazing life with Logan. Um, what what can what can six month old Logan do? Um, he can he can shout. He's very good at shouting. <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, what he's... performing the song shout or no, no, just generally shouting. It doesn't doesn't have words yet, so it's it's, it's more sort of a, he's got stuff a to say. primitive thing he has going on. Um, he's very good at making sure that you don't actually watch anything you want to watch on the television. Right, right. Um, so he's like Bake Off. Nah, nah. Wait, wait till I'm asleep, Dad. Yeah, right now oh, it'll be Shrek. What? Do they? Ah, okay. So, so at Shrek. six months, is it like? Do, 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 does Logan have preferences? Oh yeah, yeah. Really? I, I didn't think he would, but he for the past month, the only thing he wants to watch is Shrek. And if you put anything else on the TV, because I just thought like shapes and sounds and colours would distract him. Sure. Yeah. So you, you put anything else on, and it gets a couple of minutes in, including Shrek Two. It gets a couple <laughs> of minutes in. And he, he starts like shouting, and if you leave it for ten or fifteen minutes, he'll start crying until you put Shrek on, and then he'll be quiet. So, so you couldn't, uh, so you couldn't just adjust the color settings of your TV to make everyone green. <laughs> no, I thought that it, I thought like it would just be a noise and shapes thing, and oh, it right, would be yeah, fine. Yeah. But n- no. But so, so so okay. So obviously a fan of the original Shrek, the much the much better original. Well, yeah, it was. Just... To be fair, dude, Logan Logan's a critic already. It's, I, yeah. I like that. Is it, is it the fact yeah. that is it the fact that he's just a big fan of John Lithgow? Because he's the only thing different between the first one and the second one. He's uh, he's, second. he's funnily enough. This sounds absurd because he is six months old. But funnily enough, he is like so not a fan of Prince Charming in Shrek Two. And any time he really? comes on the screen, he's very fussy about it. He's not a fan of Rupert Everett. That's crazy, man. Wow. So, um, okay, so like Shrek, doesn't like Shrek too. <laughs> um, what uh, like do they do they have like preferences for food at this point? Do they have? He's still just on milk at the moment. So just on the milk, just on the milk, and the milk is oh. actually the the bulk of their food intake for the first year is milk, Pretty much, even yeah. when he when he starts eating. And um, we'll have to start weaning him soon because he's sort of starting looking for food. So we'll start weaning him on like pureed vegetables and things. Oh, but even at that point, apparently for the first few months, it's just um, it's just for fun. So they're allowed to make as much mess as they like because it's just for fun. They don't actually have to eat the food because they get all the nutrients from milk. Oh my word! We're learning oh a lot. Neither, neither my wife nor I were particularly baby-friendly people before. Yeah. We got pregnant, and we're kind of having to try and catch up a little bit. Okay, so it's a journey. <laughs> so that that is that is absolutely fa- so. Okay, so they so they they have the food for fun. Yeah, and it's like so. What you like? Obviously, you get like fish fingers and chips and like potato <laughs> smileys and stuff like that, and just like cinnamon rolls. Yeah, in front of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I've never. I've never um, had a baby before. I've never had a baby before, obviously. But I guess I guess that for That'd be me a hell of a birthday ex- week. <laughs> hire a baby for a week. Yeah, I, I think I think though that having 
I mean, obviously, having that experience is incredible and magical and 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 all that all of that rot. But like, I think the other the other really like cool thing is like, I guess do you do you see do you see the the being become more human? If you know what I mean, like, do you see it? Do you see it like developing? Things that you recognise as non... I'm so sorry, Pete. Um the, the scariest thing about the whole process, like, it's... it's OK, it's magical and you feel that bond and connection and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing to look into your son's yeah. eyes and all that bullshit. Yeah. It's terrifying. Um, yeah. And it, it's uh, disgusting. Um, and it's really hard work. And wow. it's like, you do... Sometimes you catch a look and think, I know what that look means because that's the look that I give people. So sometimes <laughs> sometimes I will catch a look in his eye that I really recognise as myself. And yeah, that's like, kind the, of a... like the, like, Dad, Shrek 2, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes my, my wife will say something and he'll look at me like, what's she talking about? <laughs> Wow. So, so, so mimicry is already you can already do that and stuff. That's really interesting. That's brilliant. But the the funniest thing was the first few days after he was born. Um, obviously, he was well. He was born by cesarean, so it was a quite a traumatic birth. But yeah, um, the first few days he was he's just like this tiny little baby with this screwed up face and the little squinty eyes and oh, isn't he cute? And every now and again he would like turn around and go what? And it'd be like <laughs> where am I? And you just think, for nine months, he's been in this dark, warm, liquid environment yeah. that's all calm and soothing and sounds all muffled, and all of a sudden he's out in this world, and sometimes he would just look into your eyes with this look of sheer terror. Like, yeah. where am I and what's happening? Like, he must be... Here's the thing, right? Babies at all times must just be exhausted because everything is new. Like, sometimes, you like, I'm, I'm like, wandering down the street sometimes. I'm like, this is all quite pleasant and nice, and I know that I'm probably <laughs> going to see that person on the way what to is work. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, but if, but here's the thing, like, if a car drove past and I was a baby, I'd be like, what is, what on <laughs> earth is that? Like, everything is brand new. That dog coming off. Poppy. Look, that. Okay. No. <laughs> well, well, Poppy was a little bit similar. I mean, she's not a baby, but we had her when she was sure. a child. And yeah. for her, the concept of doing a poo was so strange in the early, like, weeks. When she'd yeah. do one, she'd be like, what the hell is this? And look behind her and start walking away from it. <laughs> <laughs> My sister's a vet and she had a cat in. It was terrible. It was quite traumatic, but you can laugh about it now. It was a cat that had, that at one point, both ends, it was vomiting up coffee beans and shitting peanuts at the same time. (laughs) Starbucks has taken these seasonal varieties way too far now, aren't they? Um, um, apparently, apparently, Dan tells me that Toby uh, has just learnt what a fart is. Right. So before it was just like, baby would fart, to get on with it. You know, it would be like, what the hell is that? But now yeah, yeah. it's learnt that squeezing certain abdominal muscles provides relief from in, right. de- in like from digestional pain. So yeah. now it's just like he just sits there and he looks at Toby and can see that Toby's yeah. He's he's trying to push one out. <laughs> yeah, 
Pete, you were saying earlier about things you recognise in yourself. I'm sure Dan is... Uh, uh, Dan's like, that's what I look like when I do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've helped give birth uh, this previous week as well. I gave birth to a brand new video game. In fact, it was almost Shrek. <laughs> yeah, it was it was almost Shrek. Um actually And, and, Pete, and when did it start looking like a game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when did the game when the game was born, it's like, whoa yeah. shit, I'm a game. I'm a game. This is new. Um yeah, so uh the studio I work for um put out uh our new uh turn based strategy game called Ogre. And um let me tell you that I so this is my second product launch now, second video game launch, and let me tell you that launching a video game is I always forget how ridiculously tough and like how how late the nights can be there. And like obviously, Pete, you're nodding your head because you're obviously uh, you're you're uh, involved with Odd World Inhabitants. Uh, and um, you put out the. We talked actually. We talked about this, didn't we? We talked about um, on the show. We talked about Odd Worlds. Mm, which one did we talk new about? New and tasty. New, uh, and, new tasty. and tasty. Yeah. The fantastic new and tasty. Um, and obviously, you were a part of that. But this, these, these launches are. I mean, so for us, we're an indie studio. We're about fifteen people, and you know, it was, it was a big enough deal. Like it was like all hands to battle stations, talking to the community, and like. Uh, doing last-minute bug fixes and and making sure everybody's happy and getting all the marketing out there like that was my job like making sure that people actually played it. I cannot imagine what it must have been like for you with this decades-old uh, like heritage franchise putting out a remake of basically one of the most beloved puzzle platformers of all time. Well, luckily enough, I didn't actually join the company until about six months after the PlayStation release. So it's only really the ports that I was involved with. Right. So by that stage, we already had at least like one Metacritic ranking and we, we kind of knew how it was going to be received everywhere. Okay. But it's always nerve-wracking. Right. Um, yeah. So what did you put it out on after the PlayStation port? Well, the PlayStation version was the first day out, the PS4 version, then it came out on PS3 and Vita, or it came out on PS3, and then we did... The month I joined the company, we were setting up for the Steam release and the Xbox One release the month after that. Right. Yeah. And then we started working on the Vita and Wii U ports of it. Did, did you find that different audiences had different expectations for the, for the same game? To an extent, yeah. There's um, Well, everybody wants the game to work the way they imagine it will work on their platform for a start and obviously when you're working with platforms that don't have the same kind of power to push around yeah um it's difficult like we had to make certain decisions with the wii u version and the vita version just to get them to run on those machines um, sure because even though it's only a like a side-on platformer game there is like a lot of depth to the art and there's a lot of ai even in the, the npcs and stuff so everybody wants it to work as like even people buying it on Vita or getting it for free on Vita because it was cross-buy wanted it to be the same as the PS4 version. Yeah. 
and you kind of have to make decisions even things like some of the some of the um particles on the ps4 version when we scaled them down to the vita screen were sub pixel size so there was just no point in keeping those things in because they didn't yeah. appear yeah. um but people still wanted them to appear so that you have to kind of try and find ways for it to be like the suggestion that there are particles there or bees there or whatever um so yeah to an extent there is some different expectation i think yeah um yeah. i think that it seemed like people well people i was going to say there that maybe people thought that the wii u version might be a little bit easier than it was but i think that with well, Oddworld to port fans, or to play to play um, I think the Oddworld fans generally knew what they were getting, and with New and Tasty being a remake, uh, it was kind of well expected that it would be the same as Age Odyssey was. So I think yeah. we avoided a lot of that. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, because I think that was the that was the thing that I think that game like really I, it, it had a really big challenge to overcome, which was basically it had to feel like the game used to play in your mind yeah like it had to feel like abe's odyssey did in 1995 7 97 97, oh, yeah. 97 um and like and i i remember playing it back back in the day that that first game back in the day thinking wow this looks absolutely incredible and all that sort of stuff and played it again to contrast it to new and tasty and it new and tasty feels like that old game whereas when you go back and play that old game that old game feels a little bit more stiff than mm-hmm. you remember yeah. it being, um, and I think yeah, I think it was a, absolutely amazing. So yeah, I, I I've got to say like so as I say we, we put out Ogre and the there's something really and I don't want to like I don't want to like I don't know idolize this idea of like like crunching and like doing late hours and all that sort of stuff because at the end of the day crunch is bullshit like. All of this sort of like work harder. It's like mm, that's not that's not great, um, and it's obviously something that in the studio we don't we absolutely try and avoid at all at all costs. But it's one of those things of it, there was a a sense of camaraderie of like working those extra late hours of like we're all going to do this because we want this to be the best thing. Yeah, I think you find um, with small teams that crunch becomes less of an issue. Because people want to be there, because they want to get the best job that right. they can possibly done. Do right. they want to get it done? They want to get it out the door, yeah. and that's kind of the other the other side to this is that launching a video game is really really difficult because it's a it's the result of the artistic endeavor of a number of people and the yeah. creative endeavor of a number of people. But it also has to make money. You know, yeah. I don't know what position that your team's in with funding, Peter, but. I assume that if you launch this game and nobody buys it, then it becomes very difficult to keep those fifteen people in a job to make the next one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the same with it's the same with um, it's the same with you know most products and stuff. We're quite lucky in in the way that we put our products together because we um, the 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 deals that we put together are smart enough whereby you know if it, if it doesn't absolutely do incredible gangbusters and stuff like that that's not an issue it hasn't got to be this million seller or anything like that but yeah you're absolutely right like it's always going to be a financial concern of like you know we're not just doing this for the sake of it you know like yeah so you kind of have those two pressures so people want their their work to be out there they want people to see their work in a artistic critical way yeah but they also want people to see their work in a marketable way that means that they buy it 
Mm. Um, and I, I guess a lot of the team don't even think in those terms. They just want it to be successful enough to keep them doing what they love doing. Yeah. Um, and they don't necessarily understand what that is, but it's an added pressure on top of just, I'm about to release this thing that I've spent the last year, two years, whatever, working on. Yeah. And that's a, I think that's a big enough pressure. So for that to come at the end of a period of crunch, whether it's voluntary or whether it's enforced by some big evil corporation, yep. everyone at that yeah. point is absolutely exhausted and emotionally drained anyway. And then yeah. they're releasing this thing out into the, the wild and all of a sudden you're getting a thousand pieces of feedback every day or like if you're incredibly lucky you're getting a thousand pieces of feedback every hour mm. um and that's kind of a lot to cope with when you haven't slept properly for the past six months <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I, I i completely agree it's 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 the, the you know it's imagine if you were working on a painting for two years and then you were like here we go everyone like yeah it's it's absolutely you know but a uh, but a painting can't be changed, which is surely the biggest thing that that you both have to deal with is you you put this thing out yeah. to the public, a public that are very much aware that everything about that could be changed within you know within so, certain parameters. Yeah, but they know, but they're savvy enough to know that if they don't like something they can lobby for it to be changed rather than the painting sure. when it goes up. That's the artist's interpretation and it, and sure, it is yeah. what it is. So how how do you prioritise those, you know, those those you know, those disagreements that people have with your vision? Because surely there's got to become a line where that's absolutely how we wanted the game to go. And, and at, between between that and actually, no, we've, we've got to change that because they're that's interrupting people getting to the end that we intended. Well, I think it's something you have to, th you have to think about sensibly as that feedback's coming in. And there mm. is, it's incredibly easy. And a lot of what I do is involved with um, like planning for social media side of things. So there's a, there is an element of the, the same 15 people are messaging you every day, telling you that they want something in the game. Yeah. Um, and you kind of get into that echo chamber of okay do we spend the 30 man hours to put that feature in for them or is yeah. it just simply not worth it because there are only a handful of people asking for it mm. and then the other side of that is that sometimes they're right so like you yeah. and Tasty launched on PlayStation 4 and the, the biggest single piece of feedback that the company got and like I say this was before my time but the biggest single piece of feedback that the company got was that they didn't like the controls because it was all analog controls and it didn't mm. feel, it didn't play like Abe's Odyssey did because there was no like button, button to hop sideways and that kind of thing. So they patched in digital controls that felt more like Abe's Odyssey. And I mean, we still get the occasional comment with people saying these controls are garbage, we don't like them. And we say, pop into the menu, hit this checkbox and it'll fix it. And the people come back and go, oh my God, that's brilliant. That's what I wanted. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. these people are just right and sometimes... Um, sometimes what they're asking for is unreasonable and it's just not financially viable for the studio to do it. And sometimes yeah. they're just, they're, they're not right. Sometimes they're wrong and you have to know when to stop listening to them. Absolutely. <clears throat> like that's a, that's one of the things that we've had to, we've had to deal with as well. Like we've been fortunate enough in that, you know, so we've launched on windows and, uh, the one big piece of feedback that we get is we want a Mac version. 
Um, and it's because our demographic for Ogre, because it's a game based on a 40-year-old tabletop game, that demographic is slightly older. And so the... And this isn't, this isn't to be disparaging to that audience, but <laughs> I, get, I get the feeling that that audience, a lot of that audience have bought Macs because they just work, right? Like, they, because they're not interested in gaming. Like, some of the feedback that we got was like, oh, the, the first, you know, one of my first Ogre video games I played was, uh, was Ogre. And it's like, well, you've been playing games for 30 years because it was a digital adaptation about 30 years ago. And it's like, oh, and this is going to be the next game I play. You know, there's huge gaps. Um, and so one of the things that we got was like, we want this Mac version. And usually we say, well if you actually look at the statistics of who's playing games on Steam, Mac is, I mean, it's a drop in the ocean. I mean, then you get these, these people who are like, Linux, 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 and you're just like, you are insane. But like with, with Mac, it's, it, it, it is always like a value judgment. And obviously that's something that we've had to take into consideration. But, but the, these people are often very vocal, the Linux crowd especially. They're like, get Linux gaming, it's great. And you're like, yeah, cool. And then you make the mistake of making it, and then no one buys the bloody thing. Yeah, they're like 0.6% of the audience, and they're like yeah. 20% of the vocality. Right. And it's, and it's, it's astonishing. And yeah, having to make those kind of decisions are... It's difficult to know, because obviously it's great to have a... you know, You know... If you've if you've got a, a series like Odd World, I'm sure you've got fans who have been with it for years, and it's a huge part of their life. You know, like Dan is Dan. Um, you know, Dan is a massive fan of it, and yeah, he and it. he absolutely loves it. In fact, he wants to know all about. Uh, he wants to know all about Soulstorm, and I got a, I got a message saying, "Tell us a secret about Soulstorm," uh, which <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to leave that with you uh, as to whether or not that's something you want to do. And, but and no pressure, wasn't it? Was was Oddworld the game that he played with his one of the first games he played with his dad? Yeah. So now he's anticipating Soulstorm is going to be the first game that he plays with his son. So right. So no pressure, Pete. Just no. The circle no. of life <laughs> taught me all I needed to know. Yeah. 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 Um, maybe off air we'll discuss some secrets. All right. Okay. okay. We'll <laughs> but can can you tell me can you tell me though what is Soulstorm? Um, yeah, Soulstorm is the first brand new Oddworld game since Stranger's Wrath in 2005. Mm. Oh, right, okay. So Man. there's been quite a lot of confusion that it's an Exodus remake, and um, it, it's not an Exodus remake at all. Hmm. So it's it will reference some of the same story beats that Exodus did and some of the locations... Uh, might be similar if people are very familiar with Age of Exodus. Some of the locations right. might be familiar to them, um, although we're changing names and stuff as well. So, maybe so is, not. Abe, is Abe still the central character? Is there? Yeah. Or... Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, the the idea behind that being that the original Oddworld Quintology that Lorne spoke about back in the late nineties was always envisioned as being a series of five games in which Abe would be kind of the thread that you follow through them, but each one would introduce a new character. So technically the second game in the Quintology was Munch's Odyssey, which yep. was Munch introduced as a new character, but Abe is in mm. the game as well in places to kind of breed that familiarity. The only problem mm. with that is that when you release a game that's not called Abe's something, all of a sudden it's a new IP. Yeah. And you have to sell it again based on that. Mm. 
Um, so he's kind of gone back to that original vision of the Quintology being the story of a scene from different perspectives. Uh, Soulstorm will be following Abe. Abe's the central character. He's the character that everybody knows and loves, so it makes my job much easier if we keep him in the game. <laughs> um, but it's being, it's being we're trying to do it in a much more sort of... Uh, a much more wider view of what's happening. So in New and Tasty, or Abe's Odyssey, um, it was the story of Abe in his factory, and he realises that something's not quite right with this world. And his first motive is self-preservation, so he just runs away. Um, and from that, then he kind of learns that there's there's a little bit more to this and a little bit more is expected of him. But he's always a reluctant hero. He, he never actually mm. wants to do what he's doing. He just kind of has to push through it. Um, in Soulstorm, we're looking much more at what effect that has on a wider society. So in New and Tasty, a brought down the factory that he worked in. But how does that affect the society around that factory? And right, right. Abe's fellow workers all see that that now is possible, that they can maybe they can fight back too. And the people in the sort of the the structure, the corporate structure directly above Abe, they're pushing back like, no, just keep quiet, and you know, we can get we can carry on with our quiet, happy lives if you just shut up and get back to work. Mm. Um, but it's, and they'll continue to grow like that. So the, the, the next game after Soulstorm will be looking at how that ripples out wider through society even further than that. Tell me all about the expanse, Chris. Honestly, I keep seeing it advertised to me on Netflix don't, and I just don't. I look at it I look I, at it and I think this looks like dead uh dead what's it called? What's dead that space. one dead it looks like dead space but we're on a Netflix budget. Dead what do you mean dead space, the EA video game? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He right. can't tell the difference between different kinds of media, Sam. No, he just can't. Space helmet science. Now Chris knows that I bought the book. Yep. the first. Pete's book. also bought the book. Mm. Have you? Leviathan wakes. Yes, I bought it. Hey. I haven't read it. Oh, Pete, it. that Pete, the other one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Um, it was the book was recommended to me a, a guy that I work with that Peter knows the other one. Ogre. Yeah. We'll call him Ogre from now on. It makes, it makes a lot more sense. Sure. Uh, like Shrek. Sure, Shrek. <laughs> he calls it hard sci-fi. Hard, hard SF is pretty much what he calls it. And now I've never been a massive fan of that. The hardest I go with my sci-fi is Star Wars, and really, even then I'm not that interested. But he did sell The Expanse to me because he's watching the... the um, the TV, TV series, series as well, um, and he sold it. He sold it to me, which is why I bought the book. Um, and also, at the moment, I'm reading Nelson Mandela's autobiography. So, <laughs> Leviathan Wakes is a complete antithesis to <laughs> to learning about African apartheid. <laughs> it says it, it says it on the back page, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's how they sell it, isn't it? Yeah, sell it next to one another. If you liked Nelson Mandela's talk about how he overcame apartheid, you might like <laughs> sort of dead effect or whatever it's called. Um, so yeah, so Chris, tell, so don't ruin. Basically, what I was trying to say yeah, is don't don't, yeah, don't ruin, ruin the book for Pete and I. No, I won't. I won't. I'll just do the premise. So yeah, as Sam alluded to, this is based on a novel series by James S. A. Corey, which is two Corey. people. Didn't know that. Yeah. Um, is it James S. and A. Corey? No, um, it's the pen names I, of the authors Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank are their names. 
I think it's named after one of their daughters or something like that. I can't, I can't remember. But no, it's is, one of a series of books. Already, isn't it? Um, nine novels, the ninth one being published in 2019. Um, and it, I just completely caved when Netflix just recommended it to me. The series came out in 2015. I think it was first on Sci-Fi. Um, just Sci-Fi, not Hard Sci-Fi was the name of the channel. Um, and I was, back in the day, I was a really big fan of Babylon 5. Um and this one seemed very much like my, like a Babylon Five for the two thousands, really. Okay. Is yeah. Babylon it's... Five hard SF? Mm. Kind of, yeah. It's 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 incredible series. It was a long running series where every single episode was written by one person. Yeah, Straczynski, right? J. Michael Straczynski. Yeah, I think. Yeah. As in the comic book writer? Yes, that's that's where he, that's where he got his start. Yeah, yeah. Well, not his start, but Babylon Five. Honestly, some people really knock it. But I really like. Babylon it's great. 5. Who it's is amazing. knocking it? It's just like it's it's a brunt of lots of people's jokes. Babylon Five. It's not as good as um, people just say. Deep Space oh, yeah, Nine. Deep Space Nine. Exactly. Babylon Four. <clears throat> yeah, I mean Sam's more of an expert than me. <laughs> um, but the um, <laughs> the premise of the Expanse is that it's set in the future where um, Earth has kind of uh, colonized. Um, um, Mars, but also um, an asteroid belt, and you've got three different groups of human beings, all kind of so far, caught- so far, very similar to Nuts of My Dad's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> um, Colonization, exactly. Um, so you've got on Earth, you've got. Um, You've kind of got the UN as this kind of hubbub and leading that is um, a United Nations executive that you're following. On the the belt, um, you've got a a police detective who's trying to hunt down uh, or solve a crime, find a missing um, girl that he's been hired to find. And then you've got the third um, segment of the story is a captain who is basically on a ship whose job is to go and get ice from the asteroids to bring back for water to the belters. And right, basically, right, right. he encounters a distress, distress call, and it's from a ship um, uh, which this uh, missing woman is on. And basically, him answering that call sets in motion a series of events that lead to a potential um, political uncertainty, potential war could erupt, um, and it's just Go full on. of this kind of uh, political intrigue. But it's just about this world building there that is fascinating. That the belters, because their gravity is different on the belts, they've all kind of slightly, they've evolved slightly differently in terms of how their kind of their, their spines and things react to that less less gravity there. There's all these little details there. So whenever they kind of go into hyperspace, it's not like in Star Wars or Star Trek where they just rock from side to side as the ship's moving. They actually have to put gum guards in and strap themselves in because obviously the toll it will take on the body to do that will be so extreme. So honestly, there's this kind of gritty, kind of Battlestar Galactica-esque quality to it. And I just find it incredibly engaging. The science fiction is almost incidental, the backdrop. It's just a really interesting story about this, this, the geo, well, beyond, it's the cosmic politics of how these three different societies all intermingle and interact or butting heads of each other. And at the core of it is this mystery that you're trying to solve, this mysterious threat that seems to want all these different nations fighting each other. Um, and I'm absolutely enjoying it. I'm about halfway through the first season. I cannot wait mm. to go straight into the second season on Netflix. And it's been commissioned for a third season next year. It, it received a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. And it's one of those wonderful moments where when Netflix recommends you something, it actually, it, it actually pays off. I love that kind of 
um, that kind of world where you you dropped into it to see this the story unfold, but it's a world that appears to have existed for hundreds of years. You know, it, yeah, it, everything's there and everything's present and correct, and it all has its own little like foibles and like you mentioned about. I haven't watched the Expanse, but you mentioned Battlestar Galactica and the way everything in that didn't have corners. It was all yeah, exactly like that has obviously come from somewhere, but they never explain it. It's not a big thing. It's just this is part yeah. of our world, and it gives yeah. a real sort of depth to the world that the story's taking place in. I really love that kind of thing. And you can tell that it's based on a novel. You can tell there's a lot of lore here. And it really made me want to go out and read that novel because, as you say, those tidbits, those, those bits of contextualisation, that kind of potted history of a culture, you'll get that more from a novel. Here it's kind of like the tip of an iceberg. You know yeah. there's so much more substance beneath it. Um, and, yeah, they've done an absolutely sterling job from what I'm watching so far. It's, it's doing incredibly well. It's kind of become a slow burner. It's got, it's got a very sl- a slow start, but it's just kind of really taken people's imagination. And um, really, people have become more and more increasingly infused by its narrative. Pete, do you know that Sam the other day had to... Sam spent all day Friday putting together sound clips of Sean Connery's greatest film roles. Because there was a rumour going around that Sean Connery had died. And as a consequence, Sam had to put together all this massive kind of um, audio clip of Sean's best roles. You know this, Pete, because you're practically James Bond, as we already know. Sure, yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I just love that as an idea somewhere. Sam, basically, we were just trying to, I was trying to guess the kind of roles that he was kind of picking. Right? Oh, okay. Sure. Roles for Sean Connery. Here we okay. go. So... Uh, obviously, you, you've probably picked a James Bond or two, but I would I imagine. Guess, I even guessed the James. I guessed the James Bond as well. I would imagine it would be either Doctor No or Goldfinger. It was both. Okay, excellent. Um, and then after that, surely you will have picked Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and also the 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 bit where he's that old dragon in. Um... <laughs> Here we go. In, I was getting uh, worried then. <laughs> What's that one? Where he's the old dragon? Dragonheart? Yeah, where he's is he drag he's Dragonheart in that? No, uh, and then probably I didn't pick for, he, he for was Sean Highlander, Connery's Highlander, yeah, was, Indiana yeah. Jones. Yeah, but Highlander he played a seventeenth century Spanish dandy on a horse. <laughs> so I was like for for Sean Connery's mythical obituary that I was making based on a spurious <laughs> rumour. I wasn't going to start slapping in the moment in Highlander where he turns up with his faux Spanish accent. No, you should double team that with the Untouchables. Of his Irish. Oh, I did put the Untouchables. Lest in. we forget, you put the Untouchables in. Yeah. Uh, the Ooh. Avengers, Augusta Winter. No, didn't put the Avengers in. You're missing one of the big films that he was in. Was he in the Avengers? He was in The Rock, wasn't he? He was yeah. in. The, I really wanted to put a Rock clip in, but bit sweary <laughs> I wanted to put the one in where he's facing off against um, what's his name and uh, no. big villain's just like oh yeah these people need to be taught a lesson and basically Sean Connery goes well I just think you're a fucking idiot and then, then it goes straight to like Fiona Bruce Sean Connery died today <laughs> <laughs> and, quick question who was he in the Avengers Augusta Winter no not Marvel's the Avengers Oh, <laughs> was there another Avengers? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. He was the original Iron Man. Because <laughs> he, he was in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. 
he was. That was his last film, wasn't it? Uh, he quit, yeah. He quit acting after that. It could be his last film. He was in a, a sci-fi film called Xanadu. I think. Xanadu. <laughs> bizarre sci-fi film. Yeah, yeah. That sounds great. I think. I think that was when Sean Connery got naked. So really? Anybody want to go and have a quick, <laughs> I'm, I'm quick look at Sean Connery's stuff? There it is. Xanadu. Well, we 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 have a we have a um, we have a Twitter account, Pete, and we we basically what we do is we we tweet out different parts of the show, and then we accompany it with an image. Okay. So I think what I'm going to do Perfect. is is try and find you know, Sean naked. Ass. <laughs> oh my god, guys, guys, right, okay, um, my oh my god, is this? Guys, are you about right, to send gonna, us something send MSFW? You right, send me this. No oh, God! Am I about to look at <laughs> Sean Connery's butt? Oh my God! You're not. No, no, no. It's better than him being naked. Weirdly. Okay. <laughs> well, what could that possibly be like? Uh, oh, oh my, my God! <laughs> That's the goods. To briefly describe it, Sean Connery is wearing nothing but a pair of thigh-length purple boots. <laughs> <laughs> a red. <laughs> Where have you found this? He's like a Sasha Baron Cohen character. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he's so he's wearing purple thigh length boots, a red thong, a pair of red bandoliers crossed across his chest. He's got his hair in a plait in a ponytail, and he's holding a, a revolver on the beach. He looks, and he's he looks... not wearing anything else. He looks like a character from a cut sequence in Death Race 2000. <laughs> uh, absolutely banana. Well, I mean, you, Sam, you realise you've posted this in our regular Skype chat window for podcast. Like, every time now we're going to just open this up and look at this. My uh, God. Great. Wait, incredible. <sighs> well, Sean Connery there. <laughs> Rest in peace. He's not dead. Is he not dead? That was staying in with Peter Willington, Chris Darby, myself, Sam Turner, and the wonderful Peter Chapman from Oddworld Inhabitants. You can find out more about what's going on in the Abeverse, as I call it, by searching for official Oddworld on Facebook or following Oddworld Inc. on Twitter, where there's some interesting stuff going on around Soulstorm. Definitely worth checking out. Well, if you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Acast, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. If you'd like to leave a review too, we'd be really grateful. Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to all the things we covered in this episode. And come find us on Twitter on at stayinginpod. But for now, thanks for listening.